just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Sunday, the day of rest. More of a casual day, if you will. I don't know if that's going to change the sound of the podcast, but uh, I didn't do as much preparation as I normally would. That said, we've got plenty to talk about. Now, yesterday was kind of a momentous day for me. It was my two-year anniversary from my very first TikTok. Now, it's interesting. When I first started doing TikToks, I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't know what to expect, but that didn't really matter. In my life, in almost everything I've ever done, I jumped in head first and tried to figure it out as I went along. Now, the whole reason I did TikToks wasn't because I wanted to be on TikTok. The whole reason is because I wanted to do a podcast with my 40 years of radio experience. This is a comfortable place for me. And I thought if I'm going to do what I want, doing a podcast would be the thing to do. But I also knew from past experience, you couldn't just start up a podcast and hope against hope that somebody would come to listen because that's not how it works. So I thought with TikTok, I'd go on there, maybe get five, ten thousand 10,000 followers if I'm lucky. And then ultimately start the podcast, promote it on TikTok, and hopefully get some of those followers to come to uh, to the podcast. And that's kind of how it worked. The strategy worked. Now, when I started doing the TikToks, needless to say, I got a lot of naysayers out there. People kind of making fun of me, whether they be uh, viewers on TikTok, my own family, my own friends. They think it's crazy. They'd kid me about it. You have to understand, in my world, in my family, kidding one another is kind of what we do. So nobody really takes offense to it. But they were harping on me pretty good about doing these TikToks. They thought it was silly, a man of 60 starting to do TikToks. But as you know by now, by listening to this podcast, I don't listen to shit. I kind of looked at it as an experiment, you know what I mean? Before I ever did a TikTok, I spent about a month, maybe two months, just watching TikToks. And it was entertaining, but I was also watching what people did, what was successful. And what that basically told me is, I can't do any of that shit. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't lip sync. I'm not going to be a thirst trap. I can't do these crazy edits or all these graphics. So at that point, I said, I'm still doing it, but I'm going to do an experiment. And the experiment was this. Can an old guy with a face with radio just sit down with no fancy stuff, no edits, no graphics, just say what he wants to say? And can he get attention? Even a little bit of attention would have been a win. And then ultimately, if I got enough attention, maybe I could convince some of those followers to listen to the podcast. Well, I'm happy to tell you that after two years two full years, my anniversary date was November 19th, I am up to 194,000 followers, 6.1 million likes, 2 to 3 million views per month. Now, I'm not the biggest creator. That goes without saying. But to achieve that is truly amazing beyond anything I ever imagined and certainly beyond anything my naysayers believed I could do. So I'm very thankful for that. And I don't take all the credit for it. I take, I give a lot of credit to the listeners. Those of you that watch me on TikTok for two years who wrote it out and kept watching over and over again. For the life of me, I don't know why you do, but uh, I'm not asking any questions. I'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth. I appreciate it very much. And by getting that many followers, it really made it an easier situation to do the podcast, my ultimate goal, and get people to transition. Now, of course, everybody that sees my TikToks isn't listening to the podcast, but a fairly good-sized number of people that are 
on TikTok are now on the podcast. And it's growing every day. So while I'm not going immediately viral where all of a sudden I've got a million followers and a million people listening to the podcast, every day it's more and more. And this makes me feel good because I had a strategy. I didn't listen to anyone. And I was diligent about it. You know, the TikToks, I did three or four every day, almost without fail. There were some rare occasions where I missed days for whatever reason. But I was pretty solid in sticking to it. And at first it was slow going. But then it picked up speed and things got better. When I finally felt good about it, I started the podcast. And of course, that starts out slow too. Takes a while to transition people over to that. But now it's gotten to the point where I'm not Joe Rogan here or one of these big creators on TikTok, but for me, a 62-year-old guy that started out from nothing, that had little or if any hope to doing it and certainly no support, I feel vindicated because, not because I'm necessarily talented, it showed me something and it's something that all of you should consider too. Even if you're going into something that doesn't seem to fit who you are, that you're maybe not qualified for. If you focus on a strategy and a goal and you just go ahead and do it, figure it out as you go, but be diligent about it. Do it every day. Work very hard. Keep that goal in mind and keep going. You can ultimately get to the goal. Now, I'm not rich and famous, although I did get recognized by a few people from TikTok. Certainly not rich. I'm not making much of any money off of either one of these things, TikTok or the podcast. But that was never the goal. I'm comfortable in my financial status for other reasons. So I didn't need to make a million dollars and keep the lights on or feed my kids. It was just a matter of, can I do this? And I've told you this before. The podcast is kind of a revenge move. When I was in my last radio job, they started pushing older people out because they were making more money. You've heard Ed on the show. And Ed was starting to get pushed out, too. He was one of the few that got out before they did it, but there were people before him. And then they came to me and they started to do it. And I cut them off at the knees and uh, retired on the spot when they were trying to do that for me. But I had a boss, and I put those in parentheses or uh, quotation marks because he wasn't really a boss. He was a kid. He was about 34 years old, had little if any experience. And he's trying to tell me, somebody who's worked in the field at that time for like 35 years, that uh, he knows better. Having started a program, run the program successfully for 27 years. Well, you know me, I'm not going to listen to shit. So when I was retiring and I was leaving after I ripped him to shreds for about 10, 15 minutes. I told him, I said, you know what? I'm so confident in what I do that I'm going to do something on the internet and I will get more listeners than you get on this whole radio station. Now, keep in mind, it was a smaller station, so that's not as big a, uh, big a hurdle to jump over as some others. But he kind of looked at me and kind of smirked at me. But when you look at TikTok and you look at the podcast, guess what? I get more listeners than I had on that radio station and that they have the whole broadcast day on that radio station. So fuck them. (laughs) Anyway, yesterday was a two-year anniversary. It was kind of exciting to me. Not so much being on TikTok, but that I put my mind to something and I stuck to it. I'm not always good at that, you know, like with diets or bad habits or something. I'll always slip off that. But this one I stuck pretty strong to. And it should be a lesson to all of us. No matter what age we are, 60, 62, 70 years old, you should always have some goal, have something that you're chasing. That's what keeps you young. Now, (laughs) if you look at me on TikTok, you probably say to yourself, that motherfucker's not young. He doesn't look young. No, I don't look young. But in my head and in my heart, I feel much younger than I actually am. And I think that's more important than the outward appearances. All right, let's get down to business. See what's going on. 
Well, as I was going through the news earlier, apparently the biggest news right now is that Elon Musk has reinstated Donald Trump on Twitter. He did that on Saturday, reversing the ban that has kept the former president off Twitter since a pro-Trump mob attack on the U.S. Capitol. Oh, you remember the insurrection. So at that point, he was kicked off Twitter. And that was a big deal to Donald Trump. He had a lot of followers. I don't know how many bots he had, but he had in the tens of millions. And he was constantly tweeting things out and being offensive and being inflammatory. But here's the deal. In my mind, they should have never took him off Twitter. Not because he didn't deserve some kind of punishment. He certainly did. But when Donald Trump speaks, he implicates himself. He tells on himself. So had he been on Twitter all these months leading up to his leaving office and since leaving office, we might have even got more information as it is on Truth Social. And in rallies, we get a lot of things that are implicating to Donald Trump because he's just too fucking stupid to know any better. Now, Musk made the announcement in the evening after holding a poll. Yeah, he had a poll on Twitter. Users to click yes or no on whether Trump's account should be restored. The yes vote won with 51.8%. So there were a lot of people that said, fuck that, don't put him back on. Now, there was also a vote for Alex Jones. (laughs) Alex Jones wanted to get back on Twitter, but the vote was a resounding no to Alex Jones. And he's upset about that. How come Trump gets back on, but I don't? Well, because you're a piece of shit, Alex Jones, and you shouldn't be on. So Musk tweeted, the people have spoken. Trump will be reinstated. Vox Populi Vox Day." using a Latin phrase meaning the voice of the people, the voice of God. Now, shortly after Trump's account, which had earlier appeared as suspended, reappeared on the platform, complete with its former tweets, which is interesting. There's like 59,000 tweets that we can go back and sift through. It's kind of interesting when you look at those tweets, and I, I go through a bunch of them, but you can read them. There's a lot of things that he tweeted that now take on a different perspective, you know, because we know more about what he did and how he was acting. And when we see these tweets and these retweets, we can see him setting up this whole thing with the stop the steal, you know, all the people around him tweeting stuff. You can see it was a concerted effort which is not going to play well for Donald Trump. So did Elon Musk put him back on Twitter to help him? Or did he put him him back on Twitter to expose him? I don't know. Elon Musk is pretty much a Trump humper, so I can't assume the best with him. Now, we don't know if Trump is actually going to come back to Twitter. You know, of course, he was just addicted to tweeting before he was banned. Uh, But Trump has said in the past that he's not going to rejoin even if his account is reinstated. He's been relying on his own much smaller social media site, Truth Social, Social, which he launched after being blocked on Twitter. But we know that's going to shit, and that has all kinds of problems. Six months from now, that may not be here. Of course, six months from now, Twitter may not be here at all either. What's he going to get hard and strong on Facebook? I doubt it. But, you know, here's, here's the thing. He says he's not going to come back on, but you know that's bullshit. Donald Trump loves drama. He loves to be the center of attention. And what better place to do it is on Twitter with all the turmoil going on around Twitter. He can jump on Twitter and act like he's going to save it. He can't, but in his mind, he is a legend in his own mind. So it's, presu- it's presumable that he, he will probably do that. That would be my guess. <clears throat> now, on Saturday, during a video speech to a Republican Jew- uh, Jewish group meeting in Las Vegas, um, Trump said that he was aware of Musk poll, but that he saw a lot of problems with Twitters. Really? 
you think? He says, I hear we're getting a big vote to also go back on Twitter. I don't see it because I don't see any reason for it. Trump was quoted as saying by Bloomberg, it may make it, it may not make it, he added, apparently referring to Twitter's recent internal upheavals. The prospect of restoring Trump's presence on the platform follows Musk's purchase last month of Twitter. Um, now, his Musk is doing everything he can to destroy this. And, and, and we've always said, you know, is he doing it on purpose? I mean, the weird thing about Musk, he's, he's not as stupid as he appears in this situation. Um, but, you know, immediately um, upon taking over Twitter, he fired <coughs> uh, almost half of the staff. And then he decided he had to get some back, so he kind of hustled around, tried to get people to come back. But then he got hard-nosed and said, listen, if you're not willing to work 18 hours and be hardcore here, you can fucking leave. (laughs) So then half of the remaining employees left. So he's in tough shape. And, of course, on Friday, he's locked everybody out of Twitter and said, uh, we'll start back up Monday. Now, people are presuming during the weekend that something will go wrong and it will crash. Hasn't as of my last check. But who knows? Who knows? The question is, is Elon Musk think he knows what he's doing or is he purposely trying to crash it? Now, somebody would say he put $44 billion into it. Why would he just crash it unless he's just stupid? And I thought about that and other people have thought about that. And you got to know. Most of that money has come from investments from people like Saudi Arabia and other outside countries. Maybe the idea is to crash it. I mean, it's been kind of the country's town hall, a source of news and information. You know, if you want to start uh, an autocracy or a fascist state, shutting something like this down is a good idea. And since Donald Trump and Musk are such buddies, you have to believe that Elon Musk maybe has thoughts that tend that way toward fascism. I mean, he is a multi-billionaire. He gains a lot from the Republicans and Donald Trump when they give him tax breaks and things. And Elon Musk, like Donald Trump, doesn't give a fuck about the middle class. He only wants what's best for him. Like Donald Trump, he's an opportunist, he's greedy, he's narcissistic, and he only cares what he can get out of it. See, that's the problem with owning something like Twitter, with Elon Musk owning Twitter. This is supposed to be, like I say, a town hall for the people a source of information for the people. But he doesn't give two fucks about the people. So what's he going to do with it? I don't know. We don't even know for sure if it's going to survive, given the way he's handled things. Now, Trump lost his access to Twitter two days after his supporters stormed the Capitol. Soon after, the former president had exhorted them to fight like hell. We know he incited the riot. Twitter, when it was not owned by Elon Musk, dropped his account after Trump wrote a pair of tweets that the company said cast further doubts on the legitimacy of the presidential election. Now, let's be honest. Over the past or over the previous four years, at least, Donald Trump had tweeted many things that probably weren't legal in their list of rules with Twitter, but he always got away with it because he was good for the business. Just like on TV, he lied on TV so many times, but nobody called him out because, well, he was good TV. Now, after the January 6th attack, Trump was also kicked off Facebook and Instagram, which are owned by Meta Platform. Meta platforms, and Snapchat. His ability to post videos to his YouTube channel was also suspended. Facebook is set to reconsider Trump's account suspension in January. And, of course, we have Mark Zuckerberg, a less animated Elon Musk, but weird in his own right. Here's the one thing I will say about uh, Mark Zuckerberg over Elon Musk. He legitimately went to Harvard. (laughs) 
We're now finding out that Elon Musk lied a lot about his education and is not nearly as educated as we were to believe. And given he's a narcissist, as that's coming out, it, uh, it's going to pose some problems for him, some serious problems for him. Anyway, we'll stand by <laughs> and we'll see what happens with Twitter. We'll see if Donald Trump jumps back on, but I think he won't be able to resist the attention that he'll be the center of focus, that he will be the new star on Twitter. I think you'll find a lot of kickback from people on Twitter because there's a lot of people that don't like him. <clears throat> but we'll see. We'll see. I'm putting in for that he will show up back on Twitter just to test the waters and see how it goes. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of splaining to do. And no doubt if he's splaining, he's going to be lying. But to use a platform like Twitter to do it could be very valuable to him. And it could be very damning to him too, but I don't think he realizes how damning it could be. We had an interesting story, and I did a TikTok about this earlier. And you remember when the decision on overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked from the Supreme Court? Remember that? Oh, the Republicans were up in arms. They were upset. Who leaked it? We've got to find who leaked it. And, of course, they tried to blame it on the Democrats, the libtards, if you will said, we're going to get them, we're going to investigate to the full degree, and we're going to find these people and prosecute them to the fullest. But then it was kind of weird because we never heard anything about it after that. You mean to tell me the Republicans, the government, and the Supreme Court could investigate deep enough and weed out a leaker? They could never find the leaker? How is that possible? Well, here's the interesting thing that we found out yesterday. Conservative U.S. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, the very guy that wrote the opinion on overturning Roe v. Wade, allegedly he told private dinner companions how the high court would rule in the landmark 2014 case of Burwell versus Hobby Lobby according to a bombshell report by the New York Times. Now, the dinner companions, they were wealthy donors to an evangelical Christian nonprofit reportedly tipped off the minister who led the nonprofit, Reverend Rob Schenk, who told the Times later, uh, he informed the CEO of Hobby Lobby, Schenk, and also used the information undetectably to assist in preparing for their inevitable announcement of the court's decision, which he wrote in a letter to Chief Justice John Roberts earlier this year, which was obtained and published by the Times. Interesting. So Judge Alito has a track record of leaking Supreme Court information. Well, that puts the integrity of the court in question and certainly puts the credibility and integrity of Supreme Court Justice Alito in question. The interesting part here, of course, is we had another leak of the overturning Roe v. Wade that Alito happened to write, and that got leaked. We can't say for sure that Alito leaked that, but it kind of makes sense. If we understand how these decisions go, they go back and forth. Some people sign on, and then later they take their name off or they add their name. So there's a lot of back and forth in the Supreme Court as to what the final decision will be. And it's supposed that Alito wrote this, and like in the first or second draft, a certain amount of people signed on to it. But then it, the, the theory is that some of these people got a little bit of cold feet and said, yeah, I'm not going to sign this. I'm not going to put this out. So Alito tried to force the issue. And he thought by leaking this early draft of this decision with those folks' names on it, 
would put them in a corner and force them to support it. It got leaked out. It got exposed. It caused all kind of upheaval. And uh, it forced everybody to vote exactly like they voted. Now, Alito's apparently not the sharpest guy. He's a conservative, but he did no favor for the conservatives by doing that if he leaked it out. Because that is one of the main reasons, if not the reason, why the Republicans, the conservatives, if you will, got embarrassed in the midterms. He fucked himself up. So that's what people are thinking. That's our... And we don't know that that's true, but if the first claim is true, it really has to make you question about the second, the overturning Roe v. Wade. I mean, especially since they said they were going to work hard and try to dig out this leaker and never have. Now, the 2014 contraception case prompted the court to decide whether requiring a company to provide contraception as part of its health coverage violated religious freedom protections. Hobby Lobby's conservative Christian owners said they were opposed to the contraception use. You guys work for us, you make minimum wage, and you can't use contraception. How arrogant is that bullshit? Now, the result was a victory for the craft store chain and religious conservatives, much like the court's decisions in Dobbs v. Jackson, the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, of course, Alito denies tipping the court's hand eight years ago. But I have a feeling that should be easy enough to prove if there are fucking witnesses that can document the fact that he did say it. And if he did say it, that puts Alito in a bad situation. Leaking information from the Supreme Court is a uh, serious problem and would place in question Alito's integrity. Not like we don't question his integrity now, but this would be something that he could be dealt with based on his behavior. Now, the accusation comes at a very contentious moment where swaths of the nation have already begun questioning the court's legitimacy and its station in politics. We've all talked about it. This court should be unbiased and unpartisan, but they are clearly very partisan. We've seen it. They're now crying and whining that people are questioning their credibility and integrity. And I've always said, well, um, if you're worried about what people think about you, stop doing fucked up shit. Alito himself weighed in on the criticism in September when he said that saying or implying that the court is becoming an illegitimate institution or questioning our integrity crosses an important line. (laughs) So what he's saying there is calling us out for our shit is not nice and it hurts the court. Well, stop doing your shit, motherfucker. Last week, he walked on stage to thunderous applause from conservatives. They were gathered at this 40th anniversary gala for the Federalist Society, which is a fucked up organization. Um, Because all they do, their main job is to get right wing justices on the Supreme Court. That's basically what, what happens. The Republicans... Um, get an opportunity to put somebody on the Supreme Court, and what do they do? They call up the Federalist Society and say, who should we put on? Who should we put on? And whoever they say, whether they're qualified or not, that's who they put on. Now, Shank turned whistleblower this year after the Supreme Court's monumental decision against abortion rights was leaked. Now, in draft form, sparking nationwide protests after that overturning Roe v. Wade, Roberts said the court was investigating that leak, but no further developments have been shared with the public. Now, in his letter to Chief Just, the Chief Justice, Schenck wrote, considering there may be a severe 
penalty to be paid by whoever is responsible for the initial leak of the recent draft opinion. I thought this previous incident might bear some consideration by you and others involved in the process. He added, of course, I would be happy to fully cooperate should you find any value in other details surrounding what I have transmitted here. Schenck signed the letter, yours in the interest of truth and fairness. He told the New York Times he was he has not received any response. It's interesting that this guy would call the Supreme Court out. This highly conservative, big-time billionaire business owner. Now, of course, Schenck has always been kind of controversial. He was arrested in 1992 for helping to thrust a human fetus in a clear plastic container at Bill Clinton, then a presidential contender while he was out in New York City. Classy guy. Now, the minister no longer subscribes to hard-right views on reproductive rights, though. In 2019, he penned an editorial for The Times explaining himself, saying that his experiences speaking with poor and struggling parents in Alabama jails help shift his perspective. So he's somebody that's kind of going against the grain that he was once involved in. But he claims he, now he's a weirdo. There's no question about that. But he claims that Alito leaked this information in 2014. And he himself thinks that may be an answer to what was leaked uh, just recently with overturning Roe v. Wade. And we know he said it to the Chief Justice. The question is, is the Chief Justice going to look into it? Now that's all alleged, but like I say, it's easy enough to check up on if there's got to be other witnesses. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. You know, the Supreme Court has all kinds of problems. You have a guy that's apparently a leaker that's a Supreme Court justice. You have a guy that's married to an insurrectionist, a uh, uh, somebody who tried to count, uh, mount a coup against this country. You got two other people that are just fucking supplicant to whatever conservative things people tell them to do, and they aren't even qualified to be on the Supreme Court. So here's four of nine of the Supreme Court justices, and they're not the only ones, but those four have no business being on the court anymore, either by way of committing ethics issues or just by being fucking stupid, and clearly they are fucking stupid. So now that we're in this situation, there's a slim majority in the House of Representatives and uh, the majority goes to the uh, for, uh, for the Republicans. And in the Senate, the Democrats hold the majority there. Some of the things we talked about before, like uh, stacking the court and all those sorts of things, aren't likely as long as we have the current situation. Now, if we get lucky in the House of Representatives, and some of these fucks get expelled, and we have some special elections, and maybe some Democrats decide to uh, win elections there, we could see a shift in the majority. And if that happens, we'd be more likely to be able to do some things, especially if Raphael Warnock wins in Georgia in the runoff on December 6th. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Now, we're seeing a lot of Trump fucks that supported Donald Trump, people that were close to him. And I told you that ultimately they would try to step away. And after the midterms, the way they went, they want nothing to do with Donald Trump. You'll always have the the base follow him no matter what. But, you know, some of the higher ups that supported Donald Trump now see he's a liability and not an asset. So they want to get away from him as quickly as possible. 
And I've always told you that, well, that's fine, but uh, given how much support they gave a guy who's a traitor, a corrupt criminal, somebody who lies pathologically, well, it's going to be hard to get that stink off of you. And one guy finding that out is former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Now, Mike Pompeo was the biggest sycophantic suckhole you could possibly fucking imagine. He was not good for this country. He did not do good things for us. He supported Donald Trump, and he put this country in danger. But just recently, he decided to talk shit about 45. Now, when he did, though, there was a lot of kickback. The social media users refused to allow him to jump ship. In fact, some quickly reminded Pompeo of his previous support of former President Donald Trump and how he enabled many of his destructive actions. Now, as I say, there's a certain amount of stink that's going to stick with these people. Not even tomato juice will get that shit off. Now, according to Huffington Post, Pompeo attempted to unearth a previous comment Trump made. Back in 2016, Trump made multiple promises to voters if he were elected. We're going to win so much, you may get tired of winning. We all remember that one. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. Pompeo recalled Trump's remarks, tweeting, We were told we'd get tired of winning, but I'm tired of losing. And so are most Republicans. See what I mean? He's Trump's buddy. He'll agree to anything until they lost the fucking midterms. Because Mr. Pompeo would like to run for president, too, like he has any chance in hell. But in his mind, like Mike Pence, think, I'm a good prospect. No, you're not. You don't have a fucking prayer, and neither does Mike Pence. But he's got that in mind, so he sees that it's very opportune for him to back away from Donald Trump. Donald Trump's now a loser, even though I kissed his ass every day for years, but now he's a loser. So you're going to have to take your eyes off of him and focus on Pompeo because he can make you a winner again. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, The former Trump official's remarks appeared to echo the Republicans' party growing concern about Trump influence uh, during the party's poor performance in the midterms, as I say. They're all on board, and I told you that once they lose the midterms, they're going to run, sprint away from Donald Trump. Just the image of Mike Pompeo sprinting anywhere is kind of humorous in my mind. Mike's not, uh, Mike's Mike's like me, he's not in the finest shape. (laughs) Now, though some praised Pompeo for distancing from Trump, um, Huffington Post notes that critics were quick to remind him of his formerly close relationship with the one-term POTUS and a statement only last month that he'd vote for Trump if he won the GOP nomination. Some of these Twitter users said, you are complicit and you we will never forget that. See, I fucking told you. They aren't going to tolerate that shit. Others also describe Pompeo as a coward due to his refusal to specifically call out former President Trump. Another user tweeted, A guy running for president too scared to call Trump out by name. You must move on from Mr. Trump and his losing stents by replacing him with his sycophantic Secretary of State is quite the pitch. Another user added, you are not getting out of this that easy, Michael. You are one of the biggest enablers of years. We have not forgotten. They won't forget. You think somebody like Mark Meadows or any of these other fucks that were close to Donald Trump are going to be able to step back and say, see, what they think is that they'll just step back, they'll focus on Donald Trump, and they'll forget about them. Sorry, That's not the way it's going to work. They're not going to forget about you. Your careers are shot because you bought in for too long. You should have stepped away two years ago, but you didn't because you were afraid. You thought if you threw Donald Trump under the bus, it would cost you votes and money. 
But now you find out that by sticking by Donald Trump, it costs you votes and money. So in your mind, you're saying, oops, fucked up. I'll just act like I never knew anything and everybody will forget. Well, Mike Pompeo and all you other motherfuckers that tied yourself to Donald Trump, I promise you this, nobody's going to forget. And even if some people did forget, you can count on the Democratic Party reminding folks from time to time. And the media reminding folks, playing old cuts when you were kissing up to Donald Trump, and now you're saying something different. It doesn't show a lot of integrity. And how can we trust you if what you say one thing is totally the opposite of what you said before? You're not an honest guy. Anybody that follows Donald Trump at any point and decides to step back, you aren't honest. You aren't decent people. I mean, if you were true to yourself, you would just go down with the ship and say, yeah, I fucked up. I got to try to figure this out. But instead, you act like you had nothing to do with it. Well, Mike Pompeo, you had every fucking thing to do with it. You embarrassed us and you put this country in a bad situation. You want to run for president? (laughs) Good luck with that, motherfucker. You have less of a chance than Ron DeSantis, and I don't think Ron DeSantis even has a chance of winning a presidential election. I don't see any Republican winning the presidential election in 2024. I just don't see it happening. There's too much that's going to come out and too much that's going to be exposed, and it's not going to be good for the Republicans. You only have a slim majority in the House, so you can't impress anybody because you will get nothing done. All right, now, when Donald Trump took office in January of 2017, Trump, of course, didn't give Don Jr. or Eric roles in his administration. Now, they had to run the company, and oh, did they run the company. You know, the company that's currently on trial for criminal fraudulent practices, which may ultimately affect them with potential indictments. He had much more faith in his daughter, though, Ivanka, and her husband, Jared, despite their political inexperience. Both were given important duties. Now, if you look at Ivanka and Jared and you listen to the things they say, they really sounded like they believed they knew what they were talking about. But let's be honest, Jared has never worked for anybody but his own parents and Donald Trump, his father-in-law. Jared isn't a smart man. He may have went to good college, but uh, his dad also spent some time in prison for fraud. So he comes by it honestly. Jared is a grifter. Ivanka is a female version of Donald Trump. She's just smoother about it. Uh, These two, they were picked to be on the presidential team. Now, Donald Trump would very much like to have his daughter and son-in-law involved in his 2024 campaign, but uh, they aren't having it. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen talked about why this weekend uh, they aren't going to be involved. Cohen told MSNBC's Katie Fang, you take a look at Jared and Ivanka. Why did they leave? First of all, Jared got everything that he wanted, and so did Ivanka. They made $640 million while they were in the administration, and Jared's father got a pardon that he wanted. On top of that, Jared pulled down another $2.5 billion from the Saudis, and as I've stated on this show, I believe that Jared Ivanka are potentially the moles, you know, in terms of the Mar-a-Lago documents and so on. Now, this is something Michael Cohen has said a lot of. He thinks, you know, he thinks there had to be, well, we know there was somebody inside that was tipping off the FBI about the documents that Donald Trump had and that he lied about having and then he refused to give. Michael Cohen has always said that Jared and Ivanka are the FBI moles, and that kind of makes some sense. Who would know better than them? The former Trump lawyer closed, and it would be very interesting to have, let's say, the son-in-law and the daughter, who are FBI informants, DOJ informants, acting as senior members of the campaign floor or administration, if Donald Trump should somehow manage to slide back in. And so they are gone as well. Wouldn't that be interesting? 
if Donald Trump found out his own flesh and blood and the dipshit she married was the people that were telling on him. <laughs> That's kind of fucking awesome if it's true. I don't know that it's true, but, uh, you know, Michael Cohen would know some things, and uh, he certainly uh, has some insights and been pretty pretty accurate the last couple of years when he's spoken out about Donald Trump. Let's talk about another dipshit, Steve Bannon. Now, you talk about winning all the time. Steve Bannon has been doing a lot of fucking losing. First of all, he was sentenced to four months in prison in October for ignoring congressional subpoenas. That's not a big deal, but it's nice to get him off the street, even if for a short time. Now, he was kind of the architect of Donald Trump's successful 2016 campaign and has been predicting a red wave for months. I saw him being interviewed. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a red wave. It's no question. We're going to beat them. We're going to take control. We're going to uh, impeach Joe Biden, we're going to impeach Merrick Garland. Funny, that's not how it worked out. Steve Bannon is on the inside, and he couldn't see it. I'm sitting here in my fucking living room in Minnesota, and I could figure it out. There was going to be no red wave. There's just no way possible. Now, once that happened, Bannon opined that the GOP would get revenge on their enemies. The red wave, though... Well, it failed to materialize. And see, that's the thing about the Republican Party. They don't have plans to do anything. You know, they screamed about inflation. They screamed about immigration. They screamed about gas prices. But as I said yesterday, the first thing they do is, we're going to start this investigation on Hunter Biden. <laughs> that's interesting. I saw somebody else make a comment, too. Who said this? I can't remember. But Donald Trump thinks that by announcing that he's running for the presidency, that would shut down all the investigations, which is not true. That's not true. And now with this new special counsel, Donald's in even bigger trouble. And you can tell because he is mad and scared as hell. But somebody suggested it was that if you could avoid investigations just by announcing you're running for president— that maybe, maybe Hunter Biden should announce he's running for president. Joe could say, I'm not running for re-election, but my son Hunter is. So any investigations, we got to shut those down. I bet the Republicans wouldn't be for that. I don't know if Hunter Biden is going to be prosecuted for anything. I'll be perfectly honest. I read some things about Hunter Biden. I think I read a book about him. And for a time, he was kind of a fucking mess. He was kind of a fuck-up. He was into drugs. He did some crazy shit. He no doubt did some financial shit. And if he did, he should be prosecuted. And if he's found guilty, he should do jail time. I'm sad for Joe Biden. He seems like a good guy, a good father, a good grandfather. And seeing his son go to prison would be a tragic thing for him. But Jesus Christ, this guy is an older guy. He's in his 40s, I think. Maybe even older than that. If he did some shit wrong, he needs to pay the price. I don't care. You don't care. And that's the big difference between us and the crazy fucking Trumplefucks. Now, on Friday, Bannon saw a special counsel appointment to look into misdeeds of his former boss. The Republican pundit went nuclear, calling the FBI a bunch of pussies. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. I mean, I don't think the FBI likes him much at all now anyhow. So, But that's what he said, calling for the DOJ to be defunded. You don't want to defund the police, but the DOJ you do want to defund. Bannon ranted, you want a special prosecutor? Then you raise the money yourself. Go raise your money. Go special prosecute that. Enough nonsense with these people. They're criminals. They twist the law. The conservative pundit then screamed, they're super tough guys, a bunch of pussies. That's exactly what you are. You're a bunch of pussies, okay? 
pussies. This thing is a joke, a clown show. The nation's in a financial crisis, and this is what they come up with? I can't wait to jam these people. God, I love this job. <laughs> As you're getting ready to go to jail for four years, and you told us you would beat this 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 uh, prosecution. Everything Steve Bannon has said has never come to pass. He's good at screaming a good game, but he's never right. He's always wrong. And he's scared. He's absolutely scared. That's the thing that tells me that as much as I thought it was a bad idea, this tells me a lot about Merrick Garland hiring this special prosecutor. These fucking Trumplifucks, Donald Trump included, are just freaking out. And you have to wonder why they're freaking out. Well, this guy has a bit of a reputation. He's a no-nonsense motherfucker. He's very serious, and he doesn't get emotional. He's nonpartisan, and he's known to have a good track record, like 100%, of tracking these fuckers down and getting them convicted. The interesting thing about this, maybe I mentioned this yesterday. I did it on a TikTok yesterday. Um, the interesting thing about this, it got me looking at it a little deeper. Now, they're bringing in the special prosecutor to take away the complaint of it being political. This guy's apolitical. He's coming from a different country. He doesn't know what's happening in the government, let alone politics. So if Donald Trump does scream, and he will scream regardless that it's all political and you're just being mean to him because you don't want him running for president, well, he's going to have a harder time doing that with a special prosecutor making that decision. But here's, here's what I find interesting. Where is Jack Smith coming from, the new special counsel? He's coming from a job where he is the lead prosecutor at The Hague, overseas, out of the country, in Europe. He was the lead prosecutor there. And what, what does he deal with primarily? He deals with um, war crimes, international crimes. And yet they pick him to oversee what's going on here with Donald Trump and these top secret documents and January 6th committee or January 6th insurrection stuff. That's interesting, don't you think? I mean, if Donald Trump, if the DOJ already knows that Donald Trump stole these documents, that's one thing. That's something the federal government, the federal DOJ will handle. But what if they know that he's turned over these documents to adversarial or enemy countries? That's a little different thing. That's a completely different thing. You would need somebody who maybe has some experience with international law, international crimes. And maybe this is what's troubling them so much. Maybe this is why they are scared. Now, You'll remember Merrick Garland also hired some other folks. He hired a, um, um, uh, a RICO specialist and some other specialists, some of the people at the top of their game. It would suggest that uh, Merrick Garland is is really got a big-time strategy here. It's more than just stealing documents. It's more than just obstruction of justice. It's certainly the Espionage Act, but it may go deeper than that. Don't count Merrick Garland out. He may not move fast enough for you, but he knows what the fuck he's doing. Above everybody else, he knows what he's doing. And he's pulling in the right people to go after this job. Now, people will say, well, he's just punting it down the road. He's trying to delay it because he's afraid to make a decision. I don't think that's it. I've seen some people who have worked for with Jack Smith, and they say, it's not going to slow it down. It's probably going to speed it up because... A lot of people, including Merrick Garland, have a lot of a lot of uh, cases they have to deal with day to day. This guy has two cases, and he's going to go through the shit that's already been produced and coordinate what's left to be produced. And some people who know this Jack Smith um, think the opposite is true, that it's not going to delay this. It's actually going to speed it up because that's the kind of guy he is. And that would explain why 
all these Republicans, all these Trump lefucks, Donald Trump, Steve Bannon are so fucking nervous. They wouldn't be squawking the way they are squawking if they weren't nervous. And they are without question fucking nervous. So this is going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. I want to talk about Eric Swalwell. I think he's one of the brighter guys in the House of Representatives on the Democratic side. He's a young guy. He's well-spoken. Um, he has some real problems with Donald Trump. Eric Swalwell is a guy that, uh, you know, got death threats from Trump Fox, as well as Adam Kinzinger, the Republican. Now, Eric Swalwell says House Dems are ready to battle following the GOP's narrow win. Now, that's that's interesting. They have lost the majority by two or three seats, right? And Eric Swalwell says the Dems are ready to battle. The question is, what can they do? Now, I'm sure there's some things they can do. I just don't know what they are. I'm not in the House of Representatives, so I don't know. The razor-thin margin Republicans achieved to take control of the House will give the party the ability to use committees and their subpoena power that will be harnessed to subject President Joe Biden, his cabinet, and his family to aggressive scrutiny over the next two years. Yes, they have subpoena power, but as we found out from the uh, uh, Republicans over the last couple of years or four years, Subpoena power is apparently an oxymoron. The subpoenas from Congress don't mean shit because Republicans don't respond to them. And you know what happens? Almost nothing. Nasty Bannon did get indicted, but it's different when you're dealing with sitting members of Congress or even a president. We know the president can't be held accountable for anything. As much as they want to tell us that nobody is above the law, we know for certain, at the very least, a sitting president is above the law because Donald Trump was above the law. Now, at the center of the manufactured MAGA investigations will be the House Judiciary Committee, and that's expected to be led by Jim Jordan, that piece of shit, an oversight committee led by James Comer of Kentucky. Now, these are two clowns that have done nothing while they've been in Congress. Jim Jordan's been in Congress for like 17 years, and he's never had a single bill. He's the guy that turned, the, uh, turned his eyes away from his own um, wrestlers at Ohio State while they were getting sexually abused. There's a, I don't know if it's out yet or not, but there's supposed to be a documentary on this talking about Jim Jordan. That can't go well. Now, James Comer is the guy that came out and had a press conference this past week. Like I said, they were talking in the, in, in, in the campaign leading up to the midterms. They were talking about inflation. They were talking about immigration. They were talking about gas prices and all the important things that are important to the people. Well, Jim Comer, Jimmy Boy Comer, came up in a press conference and laid out the priorities for the oversight committee. Number one priority, get to the bottom of Hunter Biden. Well, what about inflation? What about gas prices? Apparently, that's not important anymore. They just said that to get elected, but they really don't care. And that's right in line with how the Republicans are. They don't care about the people of this country. All they want to do is own the Dems, and they aren't going to have much luck doing it. Now, Jordan's staff released a thousand-page compilation of letters demanding that documents be preserved for an investigation into allegations of political decision-making uh, by Attorney General Merrick Garland's Justice Department and the FBI under Director Christopher Wray, specifically whether conservative politicians, activists, and parents were targeted for harassment. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Christopher Wray was appointed to be the director of the FBI, who, who appointed him? Who was the guy that appointed him? Which president was it? Oh, yeah, it was Donald Trump, dumb fucks. Now, Democrats are already preparing to counter their colleagues even before the 118th Congress is sworn in, considering who they are. Republicans don't have a strong leader in Kevin McCarthy, who most likely won't be able to reign in the MAGA caucus. 
Eric Swalwell says the Democrats are more than ready for any stunts the GOP might pull over the next two years. Question is, what are they going to do? And I think they will have some room to do something. You know, again, like I've said, they've got a real problem with the Democrats coming in to the 118th Congress in January. They have to vote in a Speaker of the House. Now, Kevin McCarthy has always acted as if he's the heir apparent, that he's just going to get it because he's Kevin fucking McCarthy. But Kevin McCarthy has a problem. He sucked up to Donald Trump, so the people of a reasonable mind don't want him. But apparently the Trump-humping base don't want him either, the MAGA contingent. So the idea, now, now he did get nominated. He got 188 votes, but what he needs to get elected is 218 votes. And I don't see him getting 218 votes. Fact of the matter is, I don't even know who in the Republican Party in the House could get 218 votes. Because if one side puts people up, the other side isn't going to vote for them. See, this is the big problem with the Republicans. They have no unity in the House of Representatives with Republicans. You've got the crazy fucking trump fuck MAGA pieces of shit. And then you've got the people trying to step away from Donald Trump. They don't want to be associated with MAGA. They don't want to be associated with Donald Trump. So they're not going to vote in line. Now, as you're looking at this, people are supposing that uh, MAGA is the one that's in control of the House that even Marjorie Taylor Greene might be the strong man, as you, as it were, <clears throat> for the MAGA folks, which is ironic because she, <laughs> she, she's not on any fucking committees. Now, of course, uh, if they ever get a uh, Speaker of the House, he can or she can appoint her to be uh, on committees. So she'll get back on committees. But let's be honest, she's worthless. She doesn't do any work. She doesn't know anything. You know, she's not a very smart woman. Remember the Gaspacho police? <laughs> she's she's kind of ignorant. She's not very fucking bright. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what the Democrats can do with these fucks. They may just want to stand back and watch because they're going to eat each other up. There is no unity on the Republican side in the House. They're going to be hard-pressed on agreeing on anything. Now, the only interesting thing I could see, and I've mentioned this before, and I don't know that it could happen, but looking at the scenario, um, you have to wonder. You've got all these people trying to get away from Donald Trump. They will not, do not want to vote any, at any time with MAGA. So what do they do? The only other option is to negotiate and work with the Democrats or just not vote. But that wouldn't be a lot of people not voting. They want to do everything they can to separate themselves from MAGA. So they're off on their own there. And I have a feeling that these people have enough sense to see what happened in the midterms. You know, it's funny, the MAGA people saw this happen, and they can't grasp why it happened. They can't grasp it. They, they can only see that young people voted, and they're stupid, and that people just didn't understand, and we, we failed, but we're going to stick to our guns by overturning Roe v. Wade and all this other shit. But it's not going to work, and the people trying to step away from Donald Trump aren't going to buy into it because they're smart enough to know that's exactly what cost them the midterms. So the Republicans are in tough shape. They may have a three-seat majority. But I don't see them getting anything fucking done. They're going to be hard-pressed, like I say, to even get a Speaker of the House, to get 218 of 221 votes to vote for one person when these people don't agree on anything as it is. So this really kind of spells trouble for, for the Republicans. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. If they don't do anything between now and uh, 2024, that's going to fuck them over in the elections. And you can bet the Democrats will point it out at every fucking turn. Now, the one thing the Democrats can do, having control of the House, they can appoint law, uh, judges, federal judges after federal judges, and maybe that's what they need to do. Just appoint a million federal judges. That will do the country some good. 
they need the House to do some of these big, big um, bills that bring money back to the middle class. But we know the Republicans don't want that. The question is, the people that are trying to step away from Donald Trump, will they try to negotiate with the Democrats just so they can say they did something coming up to 2024 so they might have a chance? I kind of see that happening because they really have no other choice. They're not going to align themselves with MAGA, so they got to do something different. The only other option is working with the Democrats. Now, the Democrats can't jam anything through because they don't have control of the House. But if enough of the people, the Republicans in the House, says, yeah, I'll help you with that because I don't want to vote for fucking MAGA, then maybe they get some things done and they can they can reasonably crow about the things they did for the middle class in hopes of getting some votes in 2024. We really don't know how this is going to shake out, but I'm not afraid because the Republicans are their worst enemy. The Republicans are the ones that are going to fuck themselves. Not a lot may get done in 2022 to 2024 because of this split of the um, factions there. But... It's not going to be good news for the Republicans at all. Come 2024 and more millennials and more Gen Zers vote and more women are pissed, they're going to be hard-pressed to get anybody elected president in 2024 or 2028. So we'll, 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 we'll see what happens, but it's uh, not looking good for the Republicans. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for spending the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.